Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast, the show on which everyday creatives share their unique journeys. I am Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, podcast coach, and also your host. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to The Francisca Show, everyone. I'm so excited to be doing this episode today. This is a continuation of our series of the women behind the scenes series, which is we're going to talk about how this works exactly with what you do. But today with us, we have dancer, singer, and teacher, Rachel Factor, all the way from Jerusalem. And this is such an honor. I'm so excited to be doing this interview with you after so many years. We're going to talk about our uh, personal interactions, and we've known each other for such a long time. So without any further ado, welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, this is really a dream come true because now that I'm doing this series and I'm going into a lot of topics, I'm a little bit more hesitant to. So I'm really excited to be going in deep and we'll start off the way we start off every episode. And I know as part of a one woman performer, you use your story as your performance. So I don't want you to give us all the details and all the incredible um, elements of your life. But for anyone listening, just give us a, a short run through your background and how you got started in the arts and, um, and how you got introduced to Judaism. And we'll go more, we'll, we'll move through the interview and talk more about um, your relationship between the arts and Judaism and how that has been an evolving journey of it, of in itself. Okay. All right, fine. So I'll try to say in a nutshell, um, uh, how, how it went for me. I was born in Hawaii and I'm of Japanese descent, a fourth generation Japanese American. And I went to a fantastic school. I have great family and everything was just comfortable and wonderful and lovely. And yet I had this really, um, pretty intense feeling of restlessness and longing and searching, um, uh, which kept me from feeling content with all this wonderful stuff. Um, uh, what it led me to was to, I was trying to find a way to express myself and process what was going on with me, even that I didn't really understand it. And I was very nonverbal. And so, um, uh, dance was the perfect answer for me. And so when dance entered my life, I found a vehicle for expressing myself. And I really felt like I was having a conversation with someone when I was dancing that gave me so much comfort that I decided I needed to become a professional dancer, which is what I did. So I, right after high school, you know, my school was a very, very serious college prep school. Um, uh, I said, and at the time, nobody was going off to become a dancer. Nobody, um, not in my school and not my community. And um, uh I announced to my parents that that's what I wanted to do. And thank God they were, um, they were taken aback, but they were very supportive. And I went to first Los Angeles. Um, you know, I just worked hard, you know, dance, the, the commercial dancing was really all that I knew. So that's what I went into. Um, uh, like I said, I went to a good school, so I knew how to apply myself and right away I got an agent and I started working and it was exciting for me because that's what I thought I wanted to do. And I was doing television shows and music videos and uh, commercials and things like that. And, um, and yet that's still that same feeling of longing and searching and restlessness was still there. Um, uh, I was able to um, uh, get cast in a Broadway show, even from Los Angeles, and moved to New York at 21 to be in my first Broadway show. And that show closed and I got into another show and that one ran for, I think it ran for over 15 years. I was in and out of that show, um, basically as much as I wanted to be. Um, and, um, and I was a Radio City Rockette. In the meantime, I was doing a lot of commercial dancing and commercials and print work and things like that. And again, uh, I felt um, like I didn't understand why I wasn't satisfied, like what was wrong with me. I was sort of achieving the things I had set out for. And it wasn't until I discovered Judaism that things started to fall into place for me. Um, 
and um, Baruch Hashem, I got married, I started a family, and uh, um, with the birth of our son, um, uh, we really decided we wanted we wanted more. We were introduced to Torah observance and just like fell in love with it. Like it was really everything I was looking for, and it was so shocking to me because um, it didn't. It just seemed like um, I, I don't know. It just it was everything I knew. I knew community, and I knew family, and I knew food, and I knew all these great things. Um, uh, but it was being done in a different way, with a different um, intention and depth to it. It was coming from a different place, and uh, um, uh, there was an added dimension about it. I think that's what I have to say, and and that's what I was looking for. I was looking for that dimension. I was looking for purpose, and I was looking for meaning. I was looking for spirituality, and somehow, shockingly, I found it in Torah observant Judaism. Then it sort of um, my life sort of went crazy because here I was just wanting so much to be a part of the Torah's observant community and to serve Hashem in that way and to get close to Hashem like that. And, and yet, as I learned about the halachas, um, uh, you know, things I had never, ever even dreamed of, I never imagined <laughs> things like Kolisha, um, uh, things like, um, uh, you know, Tzinius had just never occurred to me before. <laughs> um, in fact, the messages I was always getting were the opposite messages, you know, um, uh, the opposite of putting your clothes on. <laughs> and, uh, and it was actually beautiful and amazing and inspiring to me, but it really meant I had to make some sort of a choice or so I thought, I thought it meant I had to give something up in order to get this amazing thing. And I was really willing to do it. Um, but, uh, and so I did, I, you know, I said, you know what, whatever, whatever it is, um, I'm going to abide by halacha and I'm just going to go for it. And I just, in my heart, I just knew that's what I had to do. So I did, it was in 2003 that I converted. Um, uh, yeah, 2003 that I converted and, um, and, and, and that same year, we came to Eretz Israel just for a few months for extended vacation, which turned into year, which now has turned into 17 years, and Baruch Hashem, I hope never to leave. Um, and uh, shortly after I moved here, so Hashem made it very clear to me that um, I had it wrong, singing and dancing are allowed. And, uh, and so um, uh, I started performing for women's audiences. People started asking me to teach. And uh, um, in, a, in a short amount of time, I was performing for hundreds of people at a time and um, traveling to different places to perform and uh, started a dance school, which has had a few incarnations and, and challenges and struggles over the years. But um, now, at least before Corona hit, we were catering to over 300 students a week and um, hope to be back there soon. Um, and in the, you know, in the course of the interview, I'll talk about some of the, the changes and uh, the pivots that we've made um, that um, uh, are really actually quite exciting. Um, and one of the things is, is that because of, uh, because of the situation and the isolation, um, I've really started to reach out more via, you know, social media and the internet and being able to connect with people I haven't connected with for a long time, so that's been really exciting for me also. Love that. And that's how we connected originally. You came, and my mother saw you perform in Israel, and then I think she went over and somehow got you to come to Moscow. And that's when we met and you stayed in our house, right? Yeah. Our apartment. And it was so amazing. And that's, it's, it's just been such an amazing experience to be able to, um, to go to these different places and to go to these different communities. You know, I did travel in the past as the kind of dancer I was before, you know, you would go to different places in the world for jobs and things. And that was also beautiful and exciting, but this is, it was so, um, it was so beautiful and amazing to go stay in your home and to see the kind of work that your parents do and to meet you and to see how you guys, were like so immersed in the arts in 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 Russia and Moscow and like how you were able to develop your talents on such a beautiful level and um, and yet be so connected to your Yiddishkeit at the same time 
Um, so it was just, it's been so incredible to be able to go to these different places and everywhere I go, you know, people welcome you into their homes and uh, trust you in their homes with their children, their possessions, leave you their keys and then leave like, and they, they don't, they don't know you. And like, as a, you know, coming from the non-Jewish world, that just doesn't happen. You know, it just doesn't happen. And uh, um, to experience that all over the world has been so really profound in, you know, and eating in everyone's houses and everyone's challah is a little bit different. Everyone's chicken soup is a little bit different. And just to be able to experience really all those different flavors. And, and yet the one thing that was a constant always was that you would always be welcome. Like, it was just incredible how Jewish people just truly, truly open their homes and their hearts. Um, to, to take care of another Jew. That's absolutely true, but I'll add a little more to it. I think being a celebrity status definitely helped it make a little bit, made it a little easier for people. I was, you know, Baruch Hashem, I, I think that people, a lot of, many people know my name or have heard my story. It's either that it's, it's either my story or that I'm the bamboo cradle girl, one or the other. But, um, uh, um, but, you know, in the beginning, when I met your mom, uh, I was just like, not very many people knew who I was. And, uh, you know, when we did that first, we did a tour around the United States on the first show that I did. And, um, and, and we, nobody knew who we were at the time. It, like, I didn't have a reputation or a name or, you know, it was actually very, um, it was pretty new and pretty, I, I didn't know the community. I didn't know what I was supposed to talk about, what I wasn't supposed to talk about. Got into trouble a bunch of times and uh, had to learn the ropes sort of as I went. And it was a beautiful process, but everywhere we went, there were just not just one home that was willing to host us. You know, granted, okay, interesting girl, like, you know, she's from Hawaii, she's Japanese, she's a convert, you know, but Baruch Hashem, you know what, I think that's just a testament to the Jewish people that they don't go, oh, whoa, like different, let me stay away from that. They're like, oh, cool, like, we want to hear, we want to hear more about that. Let's, let's have her over. Um, the trust, it was the trust that really got to me. Like people would let me into their homes and then just leave me there, you know, with all their valuables and their children, you know, like, and it was really shocking to me. And, uh, and it was really, really sort of deeply um, moving uh, every time it would happen. Wow. I love how you describe it. It's so accurate. And um so normal for you guys. It's so like, normal. It's so normal. Absolutely. <laughs> like the idea of just being able to crash anyone's Shabbos table as a normal Jewish expectation. You know, worst comes to worst. Someone will take you in for Shabbos. You know, if, if you're traveling or th there's that understanding. If you're stuck somewhere, somebody will, will feed you <laughs> and you'll have somewhere to stay. Assuming yeah. there's a Jewish community. Yeah, and it's just that it's not that the world out there is um, uh, mean. It's just that everyone's so fearful and there isn't this level of trust. It's, it's a sense of family. Yeah. Yeah, that familial, oh, you know, you're Jewish or you're from, so you're family. We're not right. from. I know we have a very, very strong sense of family and a very, very strong sense of community. And yet you would still not let a stranger in your home and just leave them there with your kids. Like you just wouldn't do it. You wouldn't leave a stranger in your home with your valuables. You just, you, it's just not something that you do. Whereas shockingly from people all over the world do this. They just do it. <laughs> Maybe they don't have valuables in their home <laughs> and they think no one wants to raise their children for them. Okay, fine. Well, something you said, I really, really want to go into, and there's so many things I want to go into because we have such a multi-layered relationship, but, um, Let's get into, you talked about having to learn the ropes of what you can talk about and what you can't talk about in your shows. And you've been doing this way before so many women today have been doing this. So when you say learn the ropes, and you didn't say this word, but I'll say it because I definitely experienced that when I did my one woman show. I did that for five seconds, by the way, because I really did not enjoy the process of feeling censored, of feeling like I needed somebody to narrate my story for me so it would be appropriate for that community. And my story is not 
like I, I was like, why am I am I that stupid? I can't narrate my own story. And then I was sitting at Neshama Kalbach's in, um, concert where she was talking, and then I realized I couldn't just talk about whatever I wanted to or whatever was part of my experience. I had to have it censored, and I needed somebody else outside of my life to do it for me because for me it was just one connected story. Everything's intertwined. So I'm assuming this a little bit relates to what you were referring to? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I guess it's because I was coming, um, uh, I, you know, in some, in some ways it's such a blessing that I was able to come to um, Yiddishkeit from not being, you know, in that world before, because um, uh, my, how, I guess my perspective is a little bit different. Um, uh, the, you know, there, there is a drawback. So when all the girls, you know, that I speak to say to me things like, you know, well, I wish I could just, you know, go out there and experience life. So I know how good Judaism is. So the downside is, is that I did experience all that part of life. And, um, and it does, it doesn't erase away when you, um, uh, become Jewish and, uh, and there's a lot of stuff that has hung on to me that, you know, I'm so happy for my children that they won't have to experience. But, um, uh, but for me, what happened was that, um, I, you know, I wrote the show as a, con when I did my first conversion, which was conservative and I was just came to Judaism and it was so beautiful and there was so much I was gaining from it and there was nothing I had to give up really. Um, and yet it was such an identity shift for me. It was very, very um, traumatic in many ways, even that I wanted it. It was still like a big, big deal. And um, I, so I wrote the show initially just for myself as um, a vehicle for like, just as art therapy for myself, just to be able to go through it. And what was beautiful about it was I was, a, I was a chorus girl. Like I was a chorus girl on a very high level, but I was a chorus girl and you don't have to really put yourself, you know, the maximum putting yourself on the line is auditioning. But once you've got the job and you're in the chorus, you're just coasting. Yeah? And, and, I, and I just was very comfortable with that. I love that, just coasting. Um, um, What's coasting? But, Coasting is just like, I got I to gotta have a job. It's in a Broadway show. It has, you know, Parnassa attached to it. It has a certain amount of, like, kavod attached to it. And, and yet there's not very much risk. Like, the leading lady is getting her contract renewed every three months. So she's got to step up. My contract is guaranteed. I have to really mess up in order to get fired. And, um, uh, and uh, there's, and nightly, my output was just like, I, I could sort of call it in. Like, um, uh, meanwhile, the leading lady was had everything on the line. You know, like she, if she did a number of bad shows in a row, that's it. Her contract's over. So um, uh, I was very comfortable with this sort of comfortable life. And um, uh, to get out there and tell my own story. So I think you can relate to this, right? To tell my own story was was on one hand just terrifying and then putting it out there for for people to have a response to is terrifying to say words that you wrote from your heart and put them out there for the world to do whatever they will with them is terrifying and at the same time so incredibly empowering and that was really when I really started to find myself was through this process of writing about my own life and my own experiences and then singing about it. You know, you grew up writing songs, but I didn't. So my first song, I was petrified, like just to show it to the person who was going to actually record the track to me. I was shaking like a leaf. It was just, it was totally irrational and illogical. I was I, I thought I was about, about to die or something. Very, very personal. <laughs> Just to expose myself like that. And and yet it was so cathartic. It was incredible. It was really transformational. And I really started to become um, myself like when I started doing it. So then um, I had this show and I found myself in Jerusalem and people started to say like, oh, um, you, you, you have this thing. Let's, let's hear it. Let's see. So I did it for a handful of women in my living room and they were like, oh, you sing. And I was like, sort of. And they were like, no, it's incredible. Sing some more. And uh, it was really, it was really amazing. So this group of wonderful friends that I had in Rehavia, 
um, was so, they were so accepting and they were so interested in the story. The truth is, is that because I came in uncensored and I, I mean, I censored it really, I was trying to be appropriate. There were things that I really knew that I had to censor because coming from a totally non-religious background into giving a performance for a religious audience, you know, there were definitely things, um, language that I needed to censor and things that were obvious, which I was happy to do because this is part of why I wanted to become religious is I sort of wanted to, you know, clean up that part of my act a bit. And, um, so it didn't feel like censorship. Censorship. It just felt like um, uh, trying to learn to be maybe more sensitive to other people's needs, and uh, um, and also being creative enough to tell the story without needing to um, uh, within some boundaries. So you have boundaries, but I need to tell the truth of the story. So how am I going to make that all fit together? Is a very creative process, and so um, that was fine. Um, uh, but I didn't, I didn't have any idea. I was not nearly like my sensitivities were not nearly close to the sensitivities of the community I was talking to, which at the same time made the show very popular, <laughs> um, uh, because of a, the honesty and b the raciness of it. And, um, uh, and at the same time and put me in a terrible like terribly uncomfortable position of receiving criticism, negative feedback on personal work, A, and B, I'm just like a not a conflict person to begin with. So, you know, some people are like, yeah, bring it on. Like I'm, I'm into it. Like I want to, I want to, want to mash it. You know, I want to like talk about it. I want to, I'm not one of those people. Um, I like to be polite and comfortable (laughs) and everybody should feel comfortable. And it was, it was, it was pretty uncomfortable to me to get some of this feedback and I remember talking to a good friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine from, from, from way before, like not Jewish, not religious, but a very, very honest, creative, intelligent friend. And um, uh, she said, you know, some of these things are asking you to censor. Um, I just want to know, like, um, first of all, she said, you have to listen to it. She's like, you have to listen to it. Don't just throw it out. Listen to it and see if there's value. Um, uh, get, you know, get off your, your, your ego and, uh, and see if it has value and maybe it doesn't. And then you can throw it out. Um, can you give an you, example of something? Yeah, you so I'll give you an example. There were two things that, that, that a, a very, very wonderful Rebitson said to me. Um, she said, listen, I understand and I understand and I understand. I just want you to know that my audience and my Kahila is not used to, yes, I understand you were in a show that were, that you played a prostitute. And uh, that, um, and I know that um, that's the truth. But you don't have to say the word prostitute, do you? And I thought, well, that's the truth. So my friend said, "What's what's your point?" You know, and there was sort of a point about it, which was to say, like, okay, so the role that I was playing was not like a princess. It was it was uh, you know something that was not something I had aspired to play, you know? Um, uh, and so she said, what, what are you fighting for here? And I said, I just want people to um, understand how much I love Hashem and Yiddishkeit and Torah and how beautiful this life is. So she was like, okay, so if the word prostitute is going to put up an obstacle between, between your message and them, it's not your fight. Take it out. And I thought, oh, you, okay, you, maybe you're right. Okay, so, and then the next example came up. Um, my friends, I was joking around with my friends about X, Y, and Z, about whatever was going on. She said, you don't have to say they were gay. I said, but they were. <laughs> um, again, my friend's like, you, you, you're, you're, you're fighting for, um, you know, gay, um, you know, acceptance or whatever. Is that your fight? No. So then take it out. You know, if it's going to put up an obstacle between you and your message, your message and your audience, take it out. Um, uh, so, you know, like she, she was also willing to meet me. It wasn't like I felt totally censored. She was like, yeah, okay, you have a song and it's about like your past relationships. I understand that. Of course you had past relationships. You weren't Jewish. You weren't from, um, but do you have to say that boyfriend was black? And I was like, okay, now you're getting to my like people of color place. And I'm very proud of my Asian American heritage. And like, 
Um, also my, you know, black brothers and sisters out there and, um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, and once again, you know, the voice came back saying like, you know, what's your message? And is this your fight? Is this your fight right now in this show? Is this the message that you want to get across or is it something else? And if it's not playing into your message, then you can leave it for a different time. You can take it up on another issue if you want to. You can stand up for it if you want to. But, um, uh, you know, it was very clear to me when she directed me how to approach um, this kind of criticism. Like, I didn't feel disempowered when I made the decision. I felt that I was making an empowered decision. I was in control. Like, I wasn't feeling like I was victimized. I felt like I was in control of the decision. That I made it. And but looking back now, now knowing wh- who you are today, or being more comfortable with who you are today, or whatever it is, just you know, putting time between then and now, because at least ten years has passed. No. Oh my gosh! I think maybe more. more yeah. yeah. So now, do you feel any different about that episode? About that censorship, you know, I'm super, super happy with how the whole thing went down, and and you know where I don't blame myself for making those like errors, um, and I thought the process was an amazing process to go through. I also really, really enjoyed. Like that's the thing is, is I think I felt very. I, I felt like I think in every moment that I chose every bit of it. Meaning I chose, I could have chose to be less Haredi, you know, and I could have chose to be in a community, you know, I chose my community that I ended up living in and that I'm living in now. And I can choose and I can always choose, you know, I can always choose these wonderful, beautiful Torah observant Jewish people um, doing, doing their Torah observance in the totally different levels of sensitivities and I can always choose where I want to fall in, in there. Um, I'm really happy with where I've chosen, you know, sort of the straightforward base Yaakov. Um, uh, I definitely um, think that, uh, you know, now I'm teaching and choreographing and performing for like very right wing base Yaakov Israel is really base Yaakov crowds and, um, and, uh, so the thing is, is that because I know that I'm choosing it, I'm choosing the audience. So I'm going to choose what's appropriate for them. You know, also I really do have and had the opportunity to say everything, you know, in the process, like in the first process I went through, I could say anything I wanted because my friends and my community out there were just so open and, uh, um, and yet I didn't feel stifled, I think, as I started to move more to the right, where I needed to sort of censor more and more is because I just, I chose the position I was in. And so along with the position I was choosing came certain parameters that were, and if I didn't choose to abide by those parameters, I would not have access just to cause controversy wasn't, was not going to help me give the message that I wanted to give. Um, I think that, you know, it has to be very, um, I think, I think the, the, the ground that I'm covering and the roads that I'm building are in enough in and of itself to be able to bring dance into the Israeli Bizyako world is, is really huge. And so I know I have to work within certain parameters in order to do that. And, and so many girls are benefiting from it. Um, it doesn't feel constrictive to me because I look at it as, I look at it as an artistic challenge. So how am I going to fully put forward the message I want to give within these parameters? So there you go. Now you've got to be creative, you know, like um, sort of like the position we're in today. <laughs> totally. And I'll, I just want to bring out anyone who's listening to me here. I've been getting a lot of feedback on how I'm reacting and to to these conversations that are, you know, where I'm talking to somebody who's clearly choosing something I I have not chosen for myself. Let's just put it that way. So I can understand, and this has been a thought in my process for myself, 
as a business decision to censor things because then you get opportunities in certain communities you wouldn't have otherwise. So by censoring, you are creating more opportunities. On the other hand, I'm hearing you talk about the passion element. You know, you have a mission to share as much of your story to inspire and to uplift women and girls who've never been exposed to this kind of clarity and enlightenment that you have. And in order to share that story, you have to censor yourself. So you having a fight, as, you, as you've said many times throughout this interview, that's your fight and you're, able, and you're willing to compromise the details of the stories or dilute the truth or just omit it, some elements, because there's a bigger goal here. And it came from a place of empowerment and you had that choice. So I just want to tell everyone listening out there that I acknowledge your thought process and um, decision-making on this end. I'm very curious to ask you, what was it like working with, with it from communities in terms of, I know some of your shows you put up on your own and you had to advertise and fill up the, the holes yourself. And other times you got brought in and you know, they took care of everything for you. And I'm curious to see what was your experience or to hear what your experience was in terms of the business end of it. And um, what was it like, you know, running that kind of one woman show business event? Well, um, uh, I think that, uh, first of all, I, in, in terms of being brought in versus putting things up on your own, see, putting things up on your own is really, really difficult. And, and there's really no guarantee. And uh, um, there's not a tremendous amount of money to be made just because um, there's not a tremendous amount of money to be made in the arts in general. Um, uh, and I think it's because artists are so passionate about their art that, um, uh, unless, um, you get, um, sort of, unless somebody is sort of really helping you or producing you or sponsoring you or something, um, uh, then, uh, you're, you're really just doing it as a passion. Also, I was trained as an artist. I wasn't trained as a business person. And in retrospect, I probably should have, you know, it's been part of my training was, um, uh, in all of our trainings, I think, whether you're, you know, starting a private practice as a therapist or, um, or a dance school, like we, they don't include in your curriculum <laughs> business 101, you know, and, and I think that it really, really needs to be included. Um, I agree, so, by the way. Uh, yeah, so I wasn't approaching it from that. I was just being passionate, you know, and the, being passionate doesn't make a lot of money. And producing your own shows is really difficult because we're basically, you know, I'm a one-man band, basically. I'm doing the whole show. The first tour, we were schlepping around the country. My husband was actually producing it, and he hired some people. We were schlepping around two little babies with us at the time, and it was really, it was really hard. You, you're advertising shows in different communities. You're dealing with venues. And, um, and it was extremely draining and it was very, very hard to do it properly so that we would be able to have full houses or even um, make, um, break even on, you know, some of the events were full and some of the events were, were not. And some of the smaller events were the most powerful events that, you know, you wouldn't want to give up as an artist. And, um, in some of the smaller communities, you know, like it's, it's, it's so hard to put passion versus, um, you know, business. Um, of course, as I've gotten older, I've had to grow up a bit and realize that, you know, I do have a family to support and, uh, you know, and, um, uh, and these five beautiful kids. And, uh, um, and so, um, I've had to learn to be stronger and have boundaries and to also work on myself, you know, like work on myself and knowing my worth. Um, uh, it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's definitely much easier to be brought in and be paid a fee, but you know, in order to stand up for that fee, you have to lose jobs. You know, you have to say, this is my, this is my way. You know, it's really hard also because most of these things you're being brought in for are Tadaka events. So, you know, you've got to balance out, like, where, where's the chassid, you know, 
where's my chesed first? Like I have to take care of my family and my kids and that's my first obligation. And yes, this is beautiful that the, the, the charity that they're, that they're, you know, organizing, but, um, uh, but you know, I have to have this, this balance. Um, I also have to keep myself balanced and I have to keep myself healthy and not just be running around doing as much as I possibly can. Um, and just not, you know, just in order to bring in enough income, so I've had to I've had to work on myself in that way. I've had to learn that it's okay to make money. Um, that it's you know that was sort of a big one for me. Um, I sort of never cared about money, but um, I I have a family, and so um, uh, I I it's part of my job is to care about money and to balance my time because my time as a mother, especially away from my family is time that my children are not having a mom. So that's got to be worth something. And, um, and I really, and I really learned and the more I value the work, the more valuable the work becomes, not just on a financial level, but actually valuable in what I'm doing. The more I realize how important the work I'm doing is, you know, because I teach much more than dance. And when I give over a show, it's much more than just a story. It really is. Um, inspiration and authenticity and learning to be real and learning to connect to each other and to God and to make that real in your life and not just um, not just sort of play at it but really you know this is this is it this is our life this is our shot and uh, to make that really real is super important to me um, so in all the work that I do that's what we really work on is all those aspects of being real in 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 your yiddishkeit, in your service to Hashem, in your interpersonal relationships, in your relationship with yourself. Yeah, that's really accurate. I love how you said, you know, I had to learn that make, earning money is okay, and I might be rephrasing that, or that, uh, you know, everything you just said is a lot that we talked and we like to talk about on this podcast because I think artists in general think that they shouldn't get paid or it devalues their work by being paid or how can you possibly put a value, a number of value on something that they put their whole life's work and effort into. It's, it's sort of interesting because in the world that I came from, the more valuable the work was like on an artistic level was conversely related to how you got paid like meaning the the television commercials i did paid the most money it was the most ridiculous work um sometimes degrading and yet you got treated so well and got paid so much money for it meaning and and yet when i was trying to do you know Shakespeare productions downtown which were so meaningful to me i like got gas fare you know like um, it was, it, it was so, um, you know, so that, that was, that's part of my, my background. And also I worked in unions. So, um, uh, the union set the standard for pay. I would have taken nothing from my work. You know, I was so passionate to do my work, but thank God the union was there to make sure we had breaks and to get us paid a living wage, um, you know, they would allow us, the union would allow us to do those down, downtown Shakespeare productions. Um, uh, but you still got insurance from it. You still got, um, uh, you know, you know, certain kinds of treatment. And uh, there was an entity that was protecting me when I went out on my own. So I didn't, I didn't have it. It took me a while to learn, to, to learn how to provide. And that it's a necessity. It really is a necessity to provide that for yourself because you won't sustain your art. And you won't continue to grow as an artist if you can't sustain it. Yeah. So I'd like to touch on one more deep topic before we transfer and wrap up where you can share a little bit more about what you do today. But you mentioned the, the flow of rejecting art because of Judaism and then realizing that it's allowed. And then I know you weren't online and you weren't, using the online platforms for spreading what you do, I think, purp purposefully. And recently, you you started coming out. And I think there there has been definitely a flow or some sort of spectrum of self-discovery in your religious 
journey. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I guess, you know, it's I'm sort of like um, uh, sort of in the midst of living it. So it's, it's hard to, you know, have more perspective <laughs> when I look back on it. But um, I think that especially during this pandemic, um, uh, I realized that, you know, Hashem really wants connection, you know. So first of all, we have our families and that's great, you know, and thank God. And, uh, you know, I'm not running around as crazy as I was before. So I'm spending more time with my family and that's amazing. But, you know, reaching out and uh, needing to reach out. So I've also started reaching out to my family and my extended family that I had totally lost touch with because I don't go back to Hawaii that often um, uh, via Facebook and via, you know, just emails and things like that, um, uh, that that was so powerful. And I felt so correct, like it felt so right. Um, and that um, interacting with people, you know, reconnecting with you and interacting with um I did a, a tour anytime uh, um, uh, Hazak. It was really basically speaking to a class in Brooklyn, but it was um, uh, live streamed on tour anytime. Like, um, uh, wow, isn't that amazing? Like, um, uh, I had a student via Zoom from Brooklyn who wanted me to speak to her class, and I got to speak to a class of girls in Brooklyn and whoever else was tuning in on tour anytime. Um, and that what I'm starting to learn also is that I, I have something very special here. I'm teaching dance that's, you know, that is sensitive to a from a from woman. And um, there are a lot of people that have that don't have a problem with, you know, finding tutorials from everyone. It's, it's just an amazing thing that you've got now um, that I can access is I can just open up YouTube and get tutorials on anything I want. Um, especially in the dance world without having to actually show up there and find something for women only. And I can just sort of view so much information. Um, but for a lot of the families and for a lot of the girls out there, um, it's not, it's not appropriate for them to just do what I'm doing. So um, for me to be able to put up a platform where I can create tutorials, but you know, dressed appropriately so that if a guy or a brother walks into the room, it's not like, oh my gosh, I have to turn up the computer. Um, uh, the, the movements are um, uh, all like a, on a basic level and standard so that, you know, a mom could feel comfortable to let her daughter um, learn dance on a professional level from me, but now I can not just teach my beautiful Jerusalem community here. I could really teach anyone anywhere that wants to log on to this. So, um, so that's been something eye-opening. Obviously, only from um, uh, the pandemic and this and the isolation that we're in right now is that I've realized that I can really reach out in a very appropriate way to you know so many more people that are just wishing they could have a from dance teacher, you know, in so many places that you can't, um, that you can't have that. And dance in particular, I feel like is very, very sensitive. Um, you know, I know that people have non from dance teachers and I know that people have um, non Jewish dance teachers. And, um, but for me, dance is like music also, it's just so connected to your neshama that it's not the same as learning gymnastics or math, you know, like um, that I really feel that it is something that's important to um, be learning dance and music from someone who is from and Jewish because, um, because it just, uh, not only it speaks so much to your soul and also you really do form a deep relationship with your your art teacher somehow they just understand you and um, you, you have a special connection that, that um, for, for the girls in my community that I teach and there's girls like this all over the world that it's just, they're just too sensitive to, um, to, to not have that. And I know that that's what a lot of their parents want from them. So, um, uh, so, you know, 
conversely, I had to get out on, I'm finding that I have to get out on the internet in order to do something like that. But I'm also finding there's so many ways to do it in such a private, a private way. Like I'm not posting my videos up on YouTube. What I'm doing is that they're on an unlisted YouTube account and that you have to go into a paid membership program via Patreon in order to do it, which like any random person's not doing, like you have to really want it in order to do it. You know, it's sort of brand new. I'm just experimenting with it, but it seems to be like a, an amazing platform to be able to, to offer it. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, so there's that also, I feel like there's, there's an element of balance, you know, like meaning um, uh, like a lot of um, uh, people who come to um, Bali Chuba and converts, you know, we, I'm so in love with so much, so much of it. And I wanted to see how much I could take in and how far I can go, you know? And then I started to realize that I had to come back to a balance that was good for me. And that really acknowledged who I am, where I'm coming from, um, where I want to be and be able to move along that line in a healthy way, you know, um, uh, too much, too much sacrifice, you know, it's like when you're working out or when you're, you know, dancing, training, um, the difference between uh, working well and injuring yourself is just, there's just a line where it's the same process. There's just a line. So I have to know when I'm getting too close to injury and pull back. It's like that point of diminishing returns. So where I want to be is close to that point, but, uh, but like a little bit on the safe side. Um, and I was definitely in my, in my spiritual growth, in my practical life, um, definitely I'm always pushing that line so hard that I often fell over into too much too fast. And in order to, again, to keep up the, um, to be able to keep up a sustained growth that I really find I have to pull back now a little bit, you know, I have to take care of myself a little bit better. I have to think of myself, I have to um, ask for my rate, I have to, you know, um, use different vehicles um, and platforms in order to interact and to build a business. Um, because, you know, even my dance colleague is not going to marry off my kids. So, um, uh, you know, get out there and try to try to figure things out and with Hashem's help. And with this last project that I'm working on now that I just actually started, um, as I was getting depressed from the whole corona we're, 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 we were in lockdown for a month and now that they're, they're starting to open up, like, not really, like they're letting gone kids go to school. That's basically the only thing. And some of the stores are, many of the stores are still closed and I'm not able to, to teach. So I'm worried that my studio is going to close and, um, and anxious and, you know, I'm trying to work on my bitachon, but like, and all of a sudden, I got this message that, like, what I really need to be doing is just getting out there and giving, like, unbridled giving, because that's all you can do right now. So I started a program where we're recruiting um, dancers from my dance program who are not dancing with me right now to become mentors. And um, uh, we send anybody who calls us up a dance mentor to teach. Um, you organize a group of five or six kids. And we send you a dance mentor to teach them dance. And again, uh, while they're going to have a nice tight little dance package of a nice, um, you know, well thought out, put together class for their age level, what they're really getting is a mentor who's there to notice, to hear, and to acknowledge and compliment and pay good, good attention to your child for an hour or two hours a week. And, um, and that's really the primary training that the girls go through, um, to be a mentor is to really learn to be a mentor, to really learn to, to understand that I, as an older girl, have a big impact on a younger girl. And I'm going to use my, my love of dance and my power to influence somebody else for the better. Um, and we're just going to get out there and start giving that service to our community, um, and we already have requests from the girls I spoke to in Brooklyn, from some of my old students that went back last year from seminary, that they want to do it also in their communities. So this program is something new. It's called We Dance. And uh, we dance, we give, we notice, we hear, we see, uh, we love. 
and um uh, and so so yeah so Baruch Hashem again like um something that I feel like I've just you know learned from this whole situation it's also making me feel really much more empowered and much less like a victim I think that's the thing is that like I've really noticed in my life that when I feel victimized by my situation, so then I get resentful. Um, but when I feel that I'm, I'm making the decisions to, um, I'm making a decision to give right now, free of charge, you know, um, is different than feeling like um, I can't get paid my worth. And uh, right now, everyone is in such a difficult position that I think the, the real answer is to give um, uh, that, um, that, that it's, it's, it's great for me because it gives me permission, you know, to do what I always wanted to give, do, which is just give. I always just wanted to, it's funny because my whole goal in life, I was able to really um, like, know what it was from a young age is I just wanted to dance and help people. That's all I wanted. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I'm sitting here in my life and that's what it is. It's dancing and helping people. And, uh, and that's, and that's, and it's really beautiful. So here I am, I'm back here after all my work on <laughs> building business and, uh, um, uh, you know, knowing my worth and everything else. Um, uh, you know, I said, sometimes you just have to go with the flow and uh, the flow right now is just telling me we got to just, do as much chesed with our art as possible because letting kids express themselves is so important. Giving them a physical outlet is so important. Giving us connection with each other is so important. Yeah, I love that so much. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming onto the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's a follow-up to a deep conversation we had a couple of years back. Um, so I'm so happy we got to have I'm this. I'm so happy. Thank you so much, Francesca. And I think everything you're doing is amazing and wonderful. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe. And if you're listening on an iPhone, leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to reach out about my music, coaching, or podcast services, email me at franciscak at gmail.com. Also, check out the show notes for all the links. See you next time. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.